This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 153, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, March 12th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our reviews episode for the week of uh, Wednesday, March 12th, and this is also episode 153. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, every week, for the uh, odd-numbered episodes, we look at the previous week's comics and uh, just do usually around anywhere between 10 and 20 reviews, uh, giving a little bit of a synopsis of each issue as well as what I thought of that particular issue. Uh, so thank you for joining us for our reviews episode this week. Uh, first up, we have All New X-Factor. Uh, this is once again written by Peter David and artwork by Carmine G. Domenico. Um, I really like him as an artist, and I'm really glad he's on a, a monthly book that I'm picking up. Uh, Peter David is you know, launching this new version of X-Factor. It's surprising that we're already four issues in, which is... One of my problems with the only Marvel now in some ways is that it almost feels like they're they're racing too hard out of the gate with so many issues. Like, is there any reason that X-Factor needs to be an issue four already? Like, I get books like all-new X-Men double shipping. I get books like uh, Superior Spider-Man shipping. These are, you know, top-tier titles and big established franchises. Um, instead, you have a book like all-new X-Factor, which, as much as I enjoy it, doesn't feel like a book that needs to be pumped out on that regular basis, because I don't necessarily think it's going to last that long i mean people love peter david but at the end of the day there's so many books in the crowded marketplace and often his books as much as they might be great and usually they are end up kind of existing in their own kind of reality and their own kind of continuity that they'll pay lip service what's going on in other areas but for the most part he kind of sticks to his own guns uh his x factor was a brilliant example of that once in a while it would be tied into a a big line-wide crossover in the x-verse but generally speaking it would be sticking to its own thing and and doing it quite well um so this issue i mean really it's uh, most of it's an extended fight sequence as you have uh danger kind of run amok not remembering any of anything from before in terms of the emotional connection she might have had with certain characters, uh, going after Gambit, Polaris, and um, Quicksilver, who are trying to stop her and take her apart and uh, having one hell of a time doing it. Uh, there's not much more to say in terms of a summarization because that's really what we see in this issue. Um, it was really well done, though. It's kind of interesting because it all kind of ends because Gambit makes out with danger, which is seriously weird. And then uh, Gambit asked her to join X-Factor. I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, it was a, kind of a light and breezy issue because it was, most of it was action-oriented. Uh, but well done action. And I kind of liked seeing how you know these three X-Factor people were able to go up against Danger. Uh, having Danger at all, you know, be used anywhere at all right now. Because it just kind of felt like she was a pretty integral part to the X-Universe. And then she was just dumped. She was just forgotten. Anything on Utopia was just kind of left behind. And then with Bendis writing the Uncanny X-Men and all-new X-Men, everything that was before AVX just kind of felt like it fell by the wayside in a big way, and it felt very odd. Uh, so I'm glad that Danger's at least been picked up, because uh, she's too good a toy to be sitting on the floor for too long, and at least Peter David's the one to play with her. I mean, he's one of the better writers out there, and I'm really excited to see what uh, we're going to get from that uh, going forward. So for this particular issue, uh, I'm going to give it... Uh, an. I think an 8 out of 10, which is, you know, kind of... It was a very solid read. It was very enjoyable. The art was great. Um, excellent stuff. Uh, next up is All New X-Men. This is issue 24. This is chapter 5 of The Trial for Dream Grey, which, again, feels like 
we're not really far enough along in the storyline uh, to really be at chapter five because it just like the first two chapters didn't do anything. They're really just set up and get and getting Jean Grey being abducted, and then we're at issue five and we're finally actually seeing the trial. But again, it doesn't quite feel long enough. Um, here we have the Guardians of the Galaxy and the X Men are trying to find a way to get close enough to the throne world to try and save Jean Grey. Also, you have Jean Grey kind of bust trying to bust out of prison as well um, on Chandelier. Uh, she goes up against, well, not, not just she, but you have the Guardians going up against uh, the Imperial Guard. My problem here is that the way that um, the uh, sorry Gladiator is written feels very much like not what the character is right now. Like if you read Infinity, there's a real regality to how he was portrayed, and heavy is the you know the head that wears the crown, and yet here he just feels much more of like a bully. But, I mean, it all really gets us to the last page where Jean Grey kind of says, you know, you're right, I am guilty, I am a monster. And then we're going to be concluding in Gardens of the Galaxy 13. And then something's going to happen in the big 25th issue celebration that's going to be next month or in whatever many weeks it is. Um, I mean, this was enjoyable. I just, I, I kind of expected more from it. Uh, the artwork by Eminem is fantastic. I just found the script a little lackluster. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7 as a result. I mean, the art is great. It's really just the execution by Bendis that needs some work um yeah so that's seven out of ten next up is an all new marvel now launch it's avengers undercover number one uh it is by dennis hopeless and kev walker basically the team on avengers arena uh it's all about which hero becomes a villain as it says on the cover uh on the cover we have i guess death locket anachronism um colin i forget his other name and you also have i don't even remember the girl with the i guess hazmat maybe is that hazmat i don't even know doesn't even look like her but just because the way that they're, they're in silhouette on the cover doesn't quite, to me, point out who it is. Um, so really, I mean, you don't need to read Avengers Arc, uh, Arena to read this and understand it, but it definitely helps. Um, because we start off with the fact that, you know, the arcade controversy of surrounding Murder World persists because of what he did to everyone. And he, not only what he did to the heroes, but the fact that he uploaded all the videos and now everyone's seen it. Um... We start off with seeing Hazmat, and she's kind of dealing with these girls who are talking about, you know, this is part of the pop culture now, that this arena thing happened, and all these horrible things happened to all these different people, and they're kind of like, well, some characters felt like they didn't even do anything, like, it, you know, you forget that they're people, and you start to think of them as characters. It's kind of like, you know, people watch Survivor, Big Brother, that kind of stuff, and it's easy to forget them as being people and more characters for our amusement because of the way they're marketed and positioned as such. Like, some characters are put in the role of villain, they may not necessarily see themselves as villains, and that could actually be prove quite damaging to them once they get out of the game. I mean, last year, uh, Big Brother in the U.S., there was, you know, some people that were basically racist, and they had to kind of try and edit out as much of the racism as possible on the show, but for people watching the network, the, sorry, the live feeds, etc., they could see this, and it, some people, I think a few of them lost their jobs. They were fired while they are in the house, not knowing that they got fired because of some of the things they've been saying. You have to kind of watch what you're saying. So this kind of idea here is that these people knew they were didn't necessarily know they were being videotaped, but now, you know, they are these celebrities, and they are going to be looked at a certain way, which isn't really fair at all, because they didn't ask for this. Um, so Hazmat, the first, like, six pages we have her dealing with these, you know, these punks who are basically talking about her and everything she went through with her friends. Um, from there, we see Chase Stein kind of living it up, trying to get some, you know, uh, being on the talk show circuit, etc., kind of riding the crest of fame, which... I personally didn't really like for the character. 
Especially because of the strong bond he had with the rest of the Runaways. Seeing him like this just didn't feel right. Um, it just felt like he's been so through so much as a character, both in Arena and in Runaways, and the different adventures they had, that this just didn't feel that authentic to the character. Uh, although, Nico showing up and kind of dealing with like the pact that these two are supposed to have did make more sense, and I did like that. Uh, having Deathlock it kind of being analyzed and uh, by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, etc., was actually really cool as well, and her dealing with that. Uh, we also have, in Anchorage, Alaska, we have Cammy dealing with being, you know, back in Alaska and not being in space anymore. Uh, we see Cullen Bloodstone uh, blowing up what he believes to be Arcade's house, and he's pretty messed up now. And then basically you have everyone kind of getting together to kind of decide what to do about Cullen, um, which is interesting. And, um... Yeah, it's really interesting stuff, and it looks like we're going to have the, the masses of evil are going to get involved, and uh, they're going to, you know, become part of the masses of evil by Baron Zemo. I don't really get why Baron Zemo is even doing this anymore because of how much I really enjoyed his, uh, but the Born Better uh, miniseries by Fabian Nicieza, probably seven or eight years ago now, but a fantastic story with Baron Zemo. Anyways, really interesting stuff. I'm interested to see where we're going to go from here uh, and how Undercover is going to work. Um, this first issue was definitely almost felt more of a, an aftermath issue so that we could understand what was going on previously um, for those who didn't may not have, um, have read Avengers Arena uh, this definitely kind of put us into the, the headspace it's a, it's a nice follow up it's almost more of an epilogue issue to Avengers Arena as opposed to necessarily being the first issue of a new book in Avengers Undercover but it was still quite a, a good launch again uh, I, I'm more interested in this than I was when Arena started because, not only because I know who these characters are now, but also just because I like the Masters of Evil concept. I do like Baron Zemo, I'm very nervous about how they're going to use him, so, um, I think I would give it a seven and a half. Uh, there was a few character bits, as I mentioned, that didn't quite strike that right chord with me, but for the most part I thought it was a, a pretty good launch. Uh, next up is Batman 29. Uh, Zero Year... Continues. Uh, Scott Snyder writing with Greg Capullo and Art. I do think I like this issue a lot more than previous issues. Um, we start with kind of a flashback to... Um, I can't even remember why they're here at the GCPD, but uh, you have Thomas and, and Bruce, and they're talking about uh, movies, etc., and dealing with the kind of the, the trauma of falling into the cave previously, and the fact that um, they, you know, they're going to... They're gonna, go to see Zorro at some point again, and which obviously sets up to uh, where Thomas and Martha will eventually die. Uh, we have Batman struggling to kind of figure out the riddle and he ends up on top of the cloud cover in Gotham uh, trying to deactivate uh, this trigger system that's up there. He goes up against, I forget his name, but the, the weird monstrous character that's up there. We have uh, Gordon himself going up against Nigma which is actually a pretty cool uh, sequence. Um, I mean, I, I still don't like the weird monsters character, but I liked it a lot more here. I like seeing how the art really showed how Batman is a much younger version of the character and still a little green. Um, also kind of felt like the way Batman was kind of portrayed artistically back in the original stories um, by uh, Bob Kane and, and many others. Um I, I, again, I, I got to enjoy say I enjoyed this a lot more than I've enjoyed previous issues, and uh, definitely one hell of a kind of series of cliffhangers here, with um, the whole place kind of going to hell, 
Um, yeah, no, I, I, I actually I dug this quite a lot. Uh, I'm going to give it an, an, an 8, which I think is the highest... It might be the highest rating I've given any issue that's part of Zero, uh, zero Year. Just because on the whole... I haven't been a huge fan. I feel like it's been drawn out. I'd rather see current stories told by Capullo and Snyder. Again, Capullo, I feel like his artwork has been a little bit different in this stuff because he's not just doing Batman. So it's a little bit lighter in tone, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily worked. Um, this weird character that Batman's fighting here was a, a bit of a weird stretch as well. So there was a, a lot of things that, for the most part, have made me not as big a fan. But here it felt much more crystallized. It was much more... Uh, straightforward. We're much more into like the Batman stuff, as and no longer in the Red Hood stuff that I wasn't a huge fan of. Instead, it was much more clear cut. It's Batman versus you know the Riddler trying to outsmart him, and it's probably the coolest the Riddler's been in a lot of ways because he hasn't had any kind of breakdown. He's just he is the smartest man in the room, and he's not afraid to tell everyone that. Um, so I, I dug this quite a lot. Uh, next up is Captain Marvel number one. Um, I didn't know what to expect of this. I hadn't read this book in a while. And in some ways, I don't think this is this book is a really good uh, indication of what the series is going to be like. But that being said, I really enjoyed this uh, for a first issue. Um, and I, but again, I feel like this is almost more of a zero issue because the actual status quo of the book is going to be quite different than what we get here. Um, this is obviously written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and artwork by David Lopez. Um, you have Carol kind of dealing with the aftermath of what happened in Infinity, so she's kind of in space, etc. Um, having space adventures. Uh, we also see her, well, we see that, first of all, and then we go flashback to six weeks earlier, so you have her and Iron Patriot, uh, James Rhodes, um, dealing with, uh, you know, kind of an unidentified object, you have her dealing with living in the Statue of Liberty with, I guess, a, a friend and her daughter, which I did not know about at all, um, you have Iron Man kind of, uh, shows up and basically kind of recommends that, uh, that Carol should go into space and kind of have an adventure and going some soul searching uh and then carol kind of was dealing with whether or not she should do this i didn't even know she was in a relationship with james rhodes but i did kind of like this as much as i had no idea this was even happening i thought it was kind of cool these two military people were both avengers kind of getting together i kind of like and the idea that carol needs to rediscover herself and she needs to find out where she belongs and to do that she's going to go into space uh to kind of have that soul searching journey um, I really like this. The art I thought was actually really strong. I like how Carol was illustrated. It it didn't feel exploitive. It didn't feel cheesecake. It felt much more realistic. I liked the relationship with James Rhodes even, um, even though I had no idea about it. I liked the brief team up with Iron Man. Again, this felt more like a zero issue because we're just kind of getting to the start of the story, which the real start is when she's in space, kind of get, getting you know getting in touch with herself again, and we haven't gotten there yet, but. I did enjoy this quite a lot. Uh, next up is... Uh, I was going to do Green Lantern Corps 29, but then I realized I'm only like halfway through the issue, and to be honest, I don't even know if I have any interest in cha in finishing it. I think the only Green Lantern book I'm actually really digging right now is just Green Lantern. Um, Core, I'm back and forth on. There have been a few issues where I've enjoyed it, and the issues like this one where I found it hard to get through and I didn't even finish. Um, so that I'm actually going to end up not talking about. Uh, next up, uh, we have a relatively short, shorter list of books left. We have Justice League of America number 12. Um, or sorry, not number 12, number 13. I didn't care much for this just because I, I like the art by Eddie Barrows a lot, but the Matt Kent story has a lot, 
a lot missing. Um, it just feels like more and more of the same thing. We got Despero versus uh, Stargirl with an, an assist by Martian Manhunter. It's in the mind. It's not in the mind. We're dealing with with you know Firestorm. We're not dealing with Firestorm. Like it just feels like for as much as the issue kind of makes it look like the Justice League is finally showing up, then the Justice League isn't actually showing up because they're still in the mindscape. And I just got so bored by the end. Like, like it's it's not even a bad script per se if this was the first time we saw this. But it just keeps happening over and over and over again that we're, I just feel like the last, what, three or four issues have just been the same thing. And the fact here that we're actually still in the mindscape, good God. Like, what's the point of this? This is just issue after issue of the same thing. Show it to me once, and then go on to something else. And I think that's the problem here. The art is great. I love Eddie Barrow's artwork. I think he's a fantastic artist who deserves a much better script than doing the same story over and over again. Um, it's really irritating. I'm gonna give it maybe a. I'm gonna give it a five. And realistically, I think I'm giving, you know, four for artwork and one for story. Like I'm just bored of this story. It's. I've read it. I've. I've, I've already had to deal with this. Like, the story hasn't gone anywhere new. We're basically right where we started. Um, although the characters aren't where they started mentally, but they are. Like, it's just, now they figure out what they might be able to do. I found this just a complete waste of my time. It looks good. Thank goodness for that, because otherwise there'd be nothing redeeming about this book. Again, it's not necessarily a bad script. It's just a script we've already seen over and over and over again in the last few issues without giving you much new. Yes, you get a little bit more exploration in the Stargirl. That's great, but did I need it? They could have done that any of the issues previous because we haven't really moved anywhere in terms of actual plot progression. Anyways, moving on so I don't become stuck in the same plot progression. Uh, we got Nightwing 29. Uh, now, this issue is, I believe, the last... You know what? Actually, now that I'm looking at it, I don't think I ever read this. I thought I read it. I wrote it down that I read it, and I have never read this. I think this is the last issue of Nightwing. I can't quite remember, though. Um... And it, I think I read that it was supposed to be like a Forever Evil tie-in, but it, maybe that's next issue, because this is, issue doesn't really do much. So I apologize. I thought I was going to be talking about Nightwing, but uh turns out I didn't read it. So it gives me something to do after the podcast. Uh, next up is Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 9. Now, I'm a late convert to this book. I admit that wholeheartedly. I was really not a big fan when it first came out. And then what I what really turned around for me was, I think, issue 6 or 7. Uh, it was the issue with um, the Beetle, and we find out that she's actually the daughter of uh, Tombstone. And I thought that issue was so well done, so interesting, that it kind of converted me around to saying, you know what, maybe I should give this book another shot. And now I kind of like it. I mean, there's still a lot of... It, you, you have to kind of not take things too seriously and allow it just to be funny. Um, but uh, I am enjoying this. So the issue starts, you have Fred Myers with his, I guess, his, his date, and he's getting shot at by Bullseye. But I love that Bullseye takes a sniper shot at him, and he throws a boomerang and is able to deflect the bullet. I thought that was awesome. Um, and then you have a lot, and I like the idea here that Bullseye, and I read an article that someone wrote, I think it was on the Chasing Amazing blog, and it was all about how, in a lot of ways, <laughs> Boomerang is the character that Bullseye could have been, in some ways, or, or could have ended up being, in that, what would Bullseye be without Frank Miller? I mean, he was just another character with a gimmick. You know, he had this bullseye on his head, and he was, uh, you know, a marksman. That's basically Boomerang. I mean, they're kind of not that different from each other. One of them wears a boomerang on the head. One of them wears a target. I mean, what's really to differentiate them? Well, the fact that one of them got badass stories. Uh, bullseye got an amazing series of stories written by Frank Miller, and he got to kill off 
what, two of Daredevil's girlfriends? So he's got not only some great cred in terms of what the character's been able to accomplish in the comics, but also the writers behind him. Like, you've had some great... Kevin, uh, Kevin Smith wrote, a, you know, obviously a great issue with Bullseye. You had Frank Miller, obviously, and a lot of other people. You had Bendis write some great stuff with Bullseye. Who's written good stuff with Boomerang? Besides, obviously, um, the writer of this book. I mean, uh, you haven't really seen much good stuff done with Bo- uh, Boomerang. Uh, I personally liked the stuff when he was in the Sinister Syndicate, but uh, it wasn't necessarily great boomerang stuff. It was he was just another guy in the team, and it wasn't necessarily that good. Um, so I have to give you know Spencer a lot of credit for telling some really good stories with with uh, Boomerang, and also I like this backstory of him kind of feeling like he always kind of got beat out by by Bullseye, and Bullseye was everything that he wanted to be in terms of it was very meta here, and I thought it was really well done. Uh, and Larry Lee, uh, sorry, who's doing the art? I can't remember his name. Steve Lieber is doing a great job in art. And like, it's very, you know, the lighter side of art in terms of not being too serious, but I'm really kind of digging it. Um, I'm loving the weird relationship here between Silvermane and Shocker, and then you have Hydra-Man show up. I love the Hydra-Man and Shocker are friends, and they're kind of looking out for each other, and then Hydra-Man kind of takes off and kind of, <laughs> kind of dicks over Shocker. But Shocker's kind of the interesting... He's kind of the character you're more rooting for than, than Boomerang, because Boomerang's, you know, he's the protagonist, but he's also kind of a dick, whereas Shocker, he's never been portrayed as being anything more than, like, he's a criminal, but he's not that bad a guy. In terms of all the different bad guys we have in this book, he's probably, in some ways, the most likable. Like, he's not the most out-and-out full of villainy. He's not, he's more loyal than anyone else. Um, he's kind of an interesting character in the way he's being portrayed here. Um, you have uh, the owl, you know, confronting... Uh, Boomerang and his date. You also have the revelation that um, it's actually not Bullseye. It's a Bullseye LMD, which is kind of cool. Um, I do like how Boomerang is able to kind of play off both the Owl and Chameleon against each other here, and he thinks he's kind of almost home free. And then, oh yeah, here are the uh, his other members of the team. Here's Overdrive and Beetle. And we don't know where they've been or what they're doing, but there's something to do with a, a school bus of children. Like, who knows what's going on? I, I couldn't remember, and I went back, and I'm like... They, they were ser- searching for Fred. That was the last time we saw them. And now this. So I'm kind of excited about next issue to kind of go back and see how they got to this point. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8. Uh, I'm kind of torn. Yeah, I think just an 8. I was thinking maybe an 8.5. You know, hell, why not? 8.5. It was a, a very solid read. Uh, next up is uh, our second last book, which is Superior Spider-Man 29. Um, I've, I'm really enjoying Spider-Man um, these days, I'm really sad that uh, we only have two more issues after this one um, to enjoy the the Spock era or the you know uh, Superior Spider-Man era. Um, this issue, a little bit more straightforward. We start off with um, you know the Goblin Underground kind of seeing what's going on in terms of uh, Monster having potentially killed Peter Parker. Now, I don't know if I like that, you know, I guess the Green Goblin doesn't know that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the same, but he does know that Auk is in Spider-Man's head. It's kind of an interesting kind of, uh, 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 what's the word, but kind of uh, magic trick that Slot has going here. I kind of don't know how I feel about that. I kind of would have been okay with... It kind of makes me wonder, too, why has he been targeting everyone that is close to Peter Parker if Peter Parker, he's only worried about as being a flunky to get to... Uh, Spider-Man, and not thinking that Peter's actually Spider-Man. It's kind of a weird way to go. Um, 
We have J. Jonah Jameson trying to decide what to do in terms of getting the sl- the, the, the slayers ready. Uh, you have MJ contacting uh, Peter Parker and getting pretty pissed off with him, even after he she saves Jay and May and brings them away from harm's way. Uh, you have Peter dealing with Monster and trying to turn her back into Carly Cooper and trying to counteract the Goblin Serum, which is a really cool idea, and I'm really glad they're doing that. He's working with Sejani on that. Um, you have Green Goblin destroying all sorts of things that are... Uh, of any importance to Otto, including where he grew up, where he originally became Dr. Octopus, where the accident was had, um, where Doc Ock's greatest inventions are currently being um, you know, looked after, uh, all these different places, the heart clinic, um, the, the, everything's blown up. And it's kind of an interesting way of kind of getting to Spider-Man, or sorry, not Spider-Man, sorry, um, Doc Ock, and having him kind of crumble and seeing what happens when he gets pushed like, Peter used to be. Peter's still dealing in the mindscape of being Dr. Octopus. Um, you have the, the mayor kind of authorizing the, the slayers. You have Empire State University under siege, and Spider-Man goes there thinking he's going to find Anna Maria, but instead finds Lamaz Schnaz, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, very much not what you expect. And having him sprout the tentacles and then having them kind of turn against him was really cool stuff. And having Schnaz die or Loaz die, I did not see that coming, but it was kind of a, a interesting way to die and saying that he you know he wanted to uh, he wanted to save Spider Man to kind of repay him and knowing the connection between Doc Ock and Loaz, it was kind of interesting that the Green Goblin was able to strike a blow without necessarily meaning to. Well, he did mean to, but it didn't look like it was going to go that way, and then it did. So it's interesting. Uh, you have Jameson Slayers attacking Spider Man and Spider Man then being. Uh, protected by uh, Spider-Man 2099, who's there to kind of counteract these slayers and see what's going on. And then Norman Osborn takes control and has both of the Spider-Man in his uh, in his clutches, in his grasp, uh, which is very much what is happening on the cover to that particular issue, which is him holding up both, uh, both Spider-Man. Um, this is, again, a great issue, a lot going on. Some things I'm wondering about, but you still got two issues left, a lot of heavy lifting to see how... Not only how Otto is going to be able to take down um, uh, Norman, but also how Peter Parker is going to be able to reassert control over the, the mind as well. I'm not sure how I feel about the way they're going about it because it's not quite what I wanted in some ways. Like I wanted Peter to be restored, not this weird version of Peter who is either lived a life in Doc Ock's shoes and then understands more about him, or is only 31 fragments of himself. Like I want pure Peter back, but. I'm sure there's a way to do that, and I'm sure that Dan Slott will somehow end up giving us that. I'm interested to see what kind of life Peter's coming back to. This is definitely the culmination of, 30, of, of well, up till now, 29 issues worth, plus, I guess, an annual and a few other issues here and there uh, in the Superior Spider-Man team-up. So um, this was quite good. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Uh, it was quite a solid read. And the last book is yeah, Superman Wonder Woman, number, I believe, 6. Um, I'm still surprised I'm even enjoying this. Like, I, I don't even think I read the first couple issues, but I'm really kind of digging it. Um, the artwork by uh, Tony Daniel is fantastic. Uh, it's really good stuff. Charles Sewell telling a, a pretty good story. I like how they're using the Superman-Wonder Woman dynamic, and it's them up against these two Kryptonians, Feora and Zod. Uh, you have Superman kind of going uh, to, uh, I believe it's Hephaestus, uh, anyways, Wonder Woman's brother to get Aramis so that they can be able to take on the Kryptonians. Uh, I like that Apollo 
basically ends up screwing everyone over by empowering the uh, the um, the downed Zod and Fiora, and so that they can make short use of short work of uh, Superman and Wonder Woman. Um, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's good. It's it's a good fun story. Uh, it's great artwork. Um, I like that you have the Superman saying that he loves Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman doing her her best impression of uh, of uh, Harrison Ford in uh, Empire Strikes Back and just saying of course you do which I like the kind of look on her face was because that does feel like a the new Fifty Two version of Diana would say that um, and they basically do a, a nuclear blast and that last page of him kind of cradling uh, the a caped uh, well the cape being drawn around uh, Wonder Woman is actually quite cool uh, I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Uh, I guess I left some of the best books of the week till the end of the podcast. Uh, anyways, that's all the books I ended up having a chance to read and talk about this week. Uh, the books I didn't get a chance to read, though, they include the following. Astro City, number 10. Batgirl, 29. Batman, Little Gotham, number 12. Uh, Black Widow, number 4, which I'm really bummed I didn't get a chance to read yet. Coffin Hill, number 6. Constantine, number 12. Deadpool, number 25 point now. Fantastic Four 2, I started reading it and I just don't know if I care, which I'm sad about because I was really excited about that launch and I read the first issue and it was kind of lackluster and I had no real incentive to read the second issue yet, but I plan to go back to it. Um, FP, FP, FBP, Federal Bureau of Physics, number 8, Green Lantern Corps, 29, Hawkeye, 17, Justice League, 3000, number 4, Legends of the Dark Knight, 100-page Super Spectacular, number 2, Marvel Universe, Avengers Assemble, number 6, Mighty Avengers 8, Nightwing, number 29, Revolutionary War, Motormouth, number 1, Royals, Master of War, or Masters of War, number 2, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, 43, Secret Avengers, number 1, really bummed I didn't get a chance to read this bit. But I will be reading it soon. Smallville Season 11, Alien Number 4, Superboy 29, Wolverine Number 3. Again, just ran out of time for that one. X-Force Number 2. I didn't really want to read it, so I didn't. And X-Men Legacy 300. Have not had a chance to even look at that book yet. Uh, just for a minute, though, I would like to then look at the books that are coming out this coming Wednesday, on Wednesday the 19th of March, uh, from DC. Just some highlights that are coming out. You have... Uh, an issue of Batman and Aquaman, which should be interesting. You have a, a new edition coming out of Batman, Bruce Wayne, Murderer. Uh, in a few months, we're also going get to be getting a new version of Bruce Wayne, or is it Batman Fugitive and Bruce Wayne Murderer? I think that's what it is. Um, I don't know why, but I just kind of like the, being able to have both you know big, thick volumes and read that entire story. I mean, it's, it's pre-New 52. It's... It's a, kind of a weird bat era, but uh, I'm interested in, in picking that up finally because I remember for years looking at those trades and now being able to get them more concisely and, and also cheaply. I'm really excited about. Um, for those who like the uh, Doug Monk or Monch, I don't even know how you pronounce it, M O E N C H, and Kelly Jones run on Batman. There's a hardcover volume one coming out. Um, for those who like Death Blow, there's uh, Death Blow Deluxe Edition coming. Uh, there's a new trade for uh, Green Arrow. That's volume four. Uh, Green Lantern, you have the rise of the Third Army uh, in trade paperback, the entire storyline. Harley Quinn number four, which I'm not a big fan of, so I probably won't be reading that. Um, there's uh, what else we got coming up this coming week? Uh, Superman Unchained number six. I forget what issue it's ending with, but it is ending soon. Um, and Trinity of Sin Pandora number nine. I can't believe that book's still going, as well as Trinity of Sin Pandora uh, volume one trade paperback. Uh, looking at, uh, let's see. Uh, image. There's Lazarus number seven coming out in a new issue of Profit. Uh, then going on to Marvel Comics, you have an all new Marvel now launch of all new Ghost Rider number one, which I know a lot of people are really harsh on. 
because it's you know it's a car and it looks kind of Fast and the Furious and I think it's a Latino character as well. Who cares? I mean, I'm not a big fan. I'm not like a, a hardcore Ghost Rider fan, and I don't think there are that many of them anyway. Um, I'm th- sure some people in the early '90s. Uh, who were fans of the original Johnny Blaze were taken aback when Danny Katz, this punk kid, found like, you know, this kind of grunge kid of the early '90s found this, you know, motorcycle and became the, you know, the the spirit of vengeance. I'm sure they were kind of upset at the time. So, you know what? This is our new generation, the new generation's version of Ghost Rider. Whatever. Let's let's give it a shot. I'm trying to come at it with a very open mind. It's easy for me to do that because I don't have any real attachment to any version of Ghost Rider. Uh, whether it be 2099 or the female one, the short-lived female one, or, you know, Johnny Blaze or Danny Ketch or any of them. I, I'm i just not a huge, I'm not really invested in that world, so I'm more looking forward to this than I would be if I was otherwise. Uh, you also have the new issue of All New Invaders coming out, Avengers World number 4. You have the All New Marvel Now launch of Daredevil coming out finally. Um, you got Iron Man 23 point now. For those following the epic collections that I've talked about in the past, you have the Iron Man epic collection, which is the uh, the War Games volume, um, which has some of the John Byrne stuff from the Armor Wars 2 era. Uh, you have, what else? Mighty Avengers, the first trade paperback is coming out. Uh, that's the most recent run. Uh, Miss Marvel number two. Super pumped for this because I really enjoyed the first issue and can't wait for the next one. Uh, New Avengers 15. Uh, the, the first trade paperback of New Avengers is finally coming out. Uh, Nova is coming out with a new issue. You have Superior Spider-Man Annual number two, which is apparently supposed to really count, and I don't know when it's supposed to take place, but I think it's either during Goblin Nation or during that 31-day mark between issues 26 and 27 of Superior Spider-Man. Um, a new issue of Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which I'm surprised at, because didn't we just get one this week? Or am I completely wrong there? No, we did, so that's weird. Uh, Thor God of Thunder, number 20. Uh, you have the Ultimate Comic Spider-Man by Bendis, trade paperback, volume 4. A new issue of Uncanny X-Men, which hopefully is better than the last issue that I really didn't care for. Uh, Winter Soldier, Bitter March, number 2, which I really love the first issue, so I'm excited for the next one. Uh, Wolverine and X-Men, number 2, comes out. Again, I didn't really like the first one, so I'm not that excited for the second issue. Uh, X-Men, number 12. I'm really digging that book, so I'm excited to see read this. And the third trade paperback of uh, Young Avengers, which I believe is the last one before that book was cancelled. Uh, so that is everything for uh, that's coming up this coming week. Thank you for joining me for episode 153. This has been our comic reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, March 12th. Uh, please email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com for any feedback, any questions, anything you'd like to ask me about the show or just me about my own comic book experience, etc. Um, also, you can like us on Facebook, although I have to admit we haven't updated that page for a long time. Uh, I mean to at some point, but I just haven't had a chance to really get around to uh, really updating it. Uh, also, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's the best way for us to try and expand the uh, audience for the show. And also, uh, please post in HG Realms if you have any questions or our thoughts on the, sh- on the show as well. Uh, so thank you for joining me for this episode. Next episode, not really sure what episode 154 is going to be about yet. I can tell you that I believe episode 156, which will be coming out uh, next week, um, so I guess the week of the 26th, 27th, 28th, around there, we'll have an episode focusing on the new Muppets movie, which is coming out on the 21st of March. Uh, the following week, we'll have an episode probably coming out on April 4th, which will be our Captain America Winter Soldier episode. Uh, both ep- of those upcoming episodes, I'll have uh, Tibor Mate or Tibor Mate joining me again on the show. Uh, for the Winter Soldier one, I believe that uh, Paul Scorez, my brother-in-law, will also be joining us on the podcast, so there will be three of us 
giving our opinions on that new movie. So thanks again for joining me for this episode, and we will be sure to catch you next time. Bye-bye.